Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Color of Teaching. I'm your host, Jesse Martinez, a seventh grade teacher in lacrosse and a public school advocate. I sit here and reflect on the last three and a half weeks, and I feel an incredible mix of emotion. I'm proud to be a teacher in this moment as I watch my friends and colleagues come together to do something that's never been done before. I watch us as a profession continually push and advocate for what is best for our students, and that lifts my spirits. I also feel nervousness during all of this. I'm nervous that my students aren't learning at the level they should be. I'm nervous that I'm not reaching all of my students. I'm nervous about the equity factors at play with students who don't have access to devices or to Wi-Fi. Yet we persist and we do the best that we can. And we are doing the best that we can. We have to remember that we need to meet our Maslow needs before we can climb Bloom's taxonomy, both for ourselves and for our students. As a fellow teacher told me the other day, take it one step at a time. You are doing enough. You are enough. I also feel a mix of sadness, anxiety, and anger. We have elected officials who, despite public pleas, refuse to do the right thing. They hold elections that put Wisconsinites in danger, they attempt to mandate things from teachers that are unrealistic, and they simply do not listen to their constituents. I was one of the people lucky enough to get my absentee ballot on time and be able to return it before the postmark deadline of April 7th. So on this episode, I want to talk about two things equity during COVID-19, and organizing for November 2020. I have two guests on this episode to talk about exactly those things. Although there seems to be a constant sense of anxiety and uncertainty during the school shutdown, I wanted to start by focusing on some bright spots. Over the last several weeks, the bright spot for me has been watching educators rally around each other. I've never felt more supported by my colleagues, both in my district and across the state and country, than I do in this instant, and it's so inspiring to see what we are all doing to help our students. There's some other folks who dropped by, virtually, of course, to tell us about their bright spots, too. My name is Caitlin Cleavy, and I teach students with emotional behavioral disabilities at the middle school level. I am also a member of the Lacrosse Education Association and serve on the WEAC Early Career Educator Standing Committee. As an educator, I have seen spots of brightness in the midst of this pandemic through our community's willingness to step up and adapt. It makes me hopeful for possible future changes to come. My name is Kelly Sullivan. I'm an English teacher at Monona Grove High School. One bright spot about our schools being closed is connecting with my own family. I get to use my teaching skills to help foster my own children's learning and watch their growth as learners. Through my own kids, I also get a sense of what my students are experiencing as well. Hello, this is Jessica Domboski-Galarno. I am a proud music educator in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I would say a bright spot as an educator in these uncertain times would be the ability to see and interact and collaborate with educators, community members, organizations, not only in our cities, but in our state, our nation, and even worldwide. The amount of resources and sharing that has been going on has been incredible. We are all there for each other, and most importantly, we're there for the students. When it comes to the students, Every single interaction we have with them has been unique and very special. There is very little opportunity to take these interactions for granted. We need them as much as the students need us. And as a bonus, they 
get to see all of the teachers, pets, animals, children, and it truly builds a sense of community. We are able to strengthen and deepen the relationships that we have with our students and just connect on a human level. It is so great as an educator to be able to go back to basics and talk about things that are truly important. Are you eating? Do you have sufficient materials? What can I do to support you? Would you like me to read you a book? What did you do today? What did you discover? All of these different things. It is so important that we can connect with our students. And even though this is not quite ideal, it still brings me such great joy to see the students when I've gone days without having been able to see them. So that is one thing that has given me hope, the amount of collaboration and just unity that is coming out of this situation. Hi, my name is Tammy Erickson. I work in Glenwood City, Wisconsin as a special education paraeducator. I am also WEAC Region 1 president. Right now I'm able to help out in my school district delivering lunches and breakfasts to many families in the Glenwood City School District and also deliver backpacks for some of our low income families. I feel very fortunate to be able to help out during this COVID-19 time. I also feel very fortunate to have received my absentee ballot as well as my family and have sent those in over a week and a half ago. I feel very upset by the fact that so many people have to vote during this time crisis and uncertainty and I would hope that the election is a positive one and more Democrats are voted into place and maybe things like this won't happen anymore or won't happen again. Hi, my name is Alexandra Agar-Pratt. I am the president of the United Lakewood Educators of Watertown and sit on the WEAC Board of Directors as the alternate minority guarantee representative. In this time of the COVID-19 pandemic, a bright spot for me has been getting to see my students utilize the skills we've been developing all year, uh, including things like being an independent learner, having to advocate for themselves, um, and really just tackling life's challenges uh, that are thrown at them. I've been really, really proud of how they have uh, handled this situation. Thank you to the folks that took the time to send me a voice message today to focus on the bright spots. During this wild time that we're in, it is so important to take time, stop, breathe and remember what we're grateful for. And those folks who sent us voice messages today helped us to do that. Next up, we have two interviews. The first one with Josh Jackson from MTEA. And we take a little bit of time and talk about equity during COVID-19. And then right after that, we have Gina Pagel from Wanakee. And her and I will take some time to talk about 
organizing, why it's important, and what we can do to start organizing now to get elected officials who support public education and support our students. All right, so now I'd like to welcome Josh Jackson to the podcast. Uh, Josh, would you like to introduce yourself and um, just give us a little background about who you are? Perfect. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, this is kind of, it's kind of cool. I've never actually been on like a podcast and I'm a voracious podcast listener. So I'm like, oh my God, I get to be on a podcast. <laughs> um, but so my name is Josh Jackson. I am a fourth grade teacher in Milwaukee Public Schools. Um, this is my seventh, I think seventh or eighth year. I can never keep track anymore. Um, and I've taught fourth grade. This is my first year as fourth grade teacher. Um, I've been an MTEA, so the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association member, my entire time in MPS. And for the past three years, I've served as the treasurer for um, the largest union outside of WEAC in the, uh, in the state. That is awesome. Um, and with your involvement in MTEA, have you, ha have you sat on any committees or been part of any caucuses? that have have done work around equity yes so um mtea um is a since it's as large of a union as it is and as diverse of a union as it is um, we do a lot of work around equity um and as treasurer i sit on a lot of different committees um and my role and hope for the work that we do is to continue to push yeah. our union to be better um, because everything can be better um, right no union, no group, no caucus even within that, like within the smaller group of grouping of our union is perfect. And my goal as treasurer and one of the four leadership uh, members of our union is to continue to push our union to become better with equity. Um, and equity, especially now is being amplified, especially with regards to socioeconomic status and access to education, which I think we'll be getting to in a little bit. Absolutely. Um, um, so, I mean, we're going to jump around on the outline a little bit here, but um, I think based on what you just said, I think that kind of starts to beg the question of, from your perspective as an educator, as an advocate for public education and a union member and a union leader, what do you see as the biggest concern in terms of equity during this pandemic? So for me, the biggest concern I have is for the students who don't have the same means as other students in our society. Um, I think about my, my own classroom. So I have been very um, lax on what my expectations are. We do not have any requirements per our district to do any online learning at this time. And what I've been doing is I've been posting one of our kind of assignments that we've been doing throughout the year, which is just reading a novel and answering some questions. Um, but I only have seven or eight parents out of my 29 students who are able to access Google Classroom, right. who are able to access the PDF of the, of the reading on Google Classroom. Yeah. Um, and I think what we're gonna start to see, which is kind of the scary part is the students who don't have the same means and ability to have access to the technology are going to lose the enrichment opportunities, which are just mm -hmm. going to set them a, a further step back right. from all the students who do have the means and the access. Um, and also we don't, you know, we, we think so much about our students, but in reality, if we think about our parents, um, 
So I'm a new parent. I mean, so it's a little different for me, but I could not imagine being a teacher who had to do online learning for my students and a parent who had to be responsible for working with a six-year-old on learning the alphabet and learning how to read, but then having to also be a husband and grocery shop and all of these other things. So I think we're also not looking at the reality of what this means for our families of the students that we serve. Um, right. And the, and the new roles that our students are taking on during this as well. Right. Like I, I, as a seventh grade teacher, I see, um, like I, I have conversations with my kids all the time where like, they're like, yeah, I'm not going to get to any of this until about seven 30 because that's when my mom will be home and settled. And then she can take care of the kids and I can work on my schoolwork. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're playing that role. Our students are, are sometimes stepping into that role of parent during this time because either their parents are deemed essential mm-hmm. and they have to go to work still, or they're, doing whatever they need to do to get their family through this. And so those older students at home are stepping up and having to take on that role. So um, I absolutely see that as a, an, an issue as well. Um, and not only, Oh, sorry for interrupting. No, go not ahead. only that, but we also have, you know, especially with our older students, if a parent has lost any sort of income, we have some students who are now feeling the responsibility to go put themselves in an environment that is potentially unsafe for themselves and their grandparents. Um, You know, I look at how many places, like how many grocery stores are hiring and all of these different things. And sadly, the the 16 to 22 year old is the perfect person in some of their eyes because the risk factor is lower. There's all of these things where now we have a high school's junior who instead of working on their classwork is going to work to help support their family so that Mm -hmm. when, if there is rent, um, you know, where the rent is waived for a month or two or however, so that when that's done, they don't end up getting evicted right away because they don't have the means to pay for it. Right. Comes back to being time. Right. Um, So I want to circle back to something you said at the beginning of this, where you were talking about online learning expectations we are moving to in lacrosse we're moving to um pass fail grades for students starting on tuesday and it's a problem like that's Mm -hmm. a problem to me (laughs) and that has been a big conversation all around like because of everything we just talked about do you foresee there being any sort of move towards that in milwaukee at all i mean i know there's i do know there's conversations around what we do um in particular, I think it's I think it's really different for the high school students. I think mm-hmm. the reality the reality of everything for high school kids is so different from really anywhere else in the yeah. gambit. Um, you know, so for me, like as a fourth grade teacher, you know, I like personally, I would be like, well, you know what, we're gonna consider the last three months of school a wash. Yeah, and maybe you know, maybe we do something creative where we add seven minutes to a day for the next school year to right. make up for the time. Like there's ways to work around that right. because if every kid is in the same boat more or less in fourth grade, they're going to be in the same boat in fifth grade. Right. Like we're not going to be doing a huge disservice if we continue to just allow kids to go on. Right. I um, totally agree. With pass fail, you know, for me, I actually think pass fail is the only equitable option Agreed. for all students. I I, I see there's like, there's that internal turmoil, like, well, you know, Jimmy has an A, 
but um, Jada has a C, but they're going to end up with the same thing on their report card. Um, but again, it we're incapable we're incapable of um, managing their outside lives, right. which makes it hard for us to be giving a letter grade. Um, so I think Milwaukee's going to go to something. What yeah. Milwaukee decides to do is kind of up in the air because we still don't know anything from DPI, what DPI is going to say to us. Um, you know, what are the, if there's all these really, it's, it's just kind of. There's so many unknowns. Exactly. There's so many unknowns and we don't really know what those unknowns are going to look like because there's right. a potential we don't go back to school in September. I mean, right. I don't want to be the bit like, I don't want to put that into the, the atmosphere, but there's a strong possibility that right. we hit a second wave and this is our new reality where, you know, a teacher sitting at home in a, in a white, a nice t-shirt, but sweatpants underneath right. <laughs> and trying to work their kids through it using some like mirror or whatever right. to teach their kids a lesson. And so I think we have to, I think as much as we have to learn on the fly, we have to really be careful and think about what are we going to do because this could be part of our new reality at least right. for the next year. Um, so we have to think about is pass fail an option that we can do for our current juniors going into seniors that sets them up to mm -hmm. be able to go to college and right. get into the college that they want and not have a negative impact. Um, but then also, how do we make sure that <clears throat> our fourth and fifth graders or our sixth and seventh graders or our kindergartners are getting what they need to be able to at least maintain the level that they're at? Yes. Um, because nothing can, you know, nothing can match the environment in a classroom with a teacher and other students in terms of the learning. There's, and there's so many things that we could say, we could, we could have a three hour conversation about this, right? Um, one of the things before I get to my last two questions that I sent you, um, one of the things that I want to ask you about that just kind of popped into my head when you were talking um, is how do you feel about the top down information that we've received from like the state level in terms of like guiding us during this process? Like, do you feel like like DPI and the governor have done a, a decent job of keeping equity in mind while we've been moving through this? Do you think there's room for improvement? So this is one thing that I'm, like, I really struggle with. So because for me, like I choose to be slightly empathetic of them mm -hmm. because they had no idea. Like, I mean, they had an idea that this was coming, but I don't think they had this, the ability to plan out in advance that it was going to, I mean, within a matter of <clears throat> one week, go from being like, yeah, maybe you should extend the spring break. Maybe you should do this to being a, we're out of school um, in depth. You know, it was started as, yeah, maybe add another week. And then, you know, Governor Evers did the until schools are out until like April 6th, I mm -hmm. want to say. And then it's like the next day it's a school. Indefinitely. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think for me, I, maybe this is me being just a little bit of an optimist. Um, I know that if it was, I was in their shoes, I would be 
losing my mind. All right. my hair on the side of my head would be gray. I probably would be going bald on the top. <laughs> right. And, you know, I just can't imagine it. So I think, right. like, so for me, I, I have a little bit of empathy for them in terms of how it comes out. Um, I actually think what the harder thing is, is I actually think that the districts as a individual entity have to do a better job of thinking of equity. So I think yes. the state, the state is doing as good of a job as it can. Um, you know, it's ending a, um, standardized testing, which is great. I mean, mm-hmm. we should just get rid of standardized testing. Amen. Writ large, like I, I don't understand why a fourth grader has to take 12 tests a year. I just, it blows my mind. Um, you know, and they're thinking about ways in terms of equity with our educators with like the elimination of the ed TPA for this year. <clears throat> and I believe there's some work with Praxis. I'm not positive on that one in terms of elimination of it for our upcoming. I've seen it from like state to state. Some people are waving. Yeah. Some people aren't. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think going back to my point that I was trying to make was the individual school districts have to make the decision. So yeah the equity for MPS is completely different than the equity for lacrosse. Right. And what equity looks like. I mean, you know, I have seven students who engage with the work on a regular basis. Whereas, you know, I have people who live in smaller districts who have every kid except for one. Right. And it's, you know, and so it's, how do we navigate that? So, you know, Milwaukee's done packets. So paper, paper mm-hmm. and pencil packets as a way for enrichment which I think for us is a really good step towards equity. Now, ultimately, we would want all kids to have access to a Chromebook. We would want all kids to have access to internet. But that's a, sadly, a pipe dream kind of thing. Right. It's been interesting in lacrosse, too, because um, in terms of access, uh, we so every student from fourth grade to 12th grade is one-to-one with some sort of device. We happen to have iPads in the middle school and um, that's great when we're in school and at school, we all have access to Wi-Fi, Right. But we have, I want to say it was like close to 50%, maybe a little under 50% of our population when we collected data that week before we had to shut down did not have reliable access to Wi-Fi. And one of the things that our district has done, which has been interesting, and I'm still not sure how, they're they're just rolling it out, Um, but they have been doing, they've been using some of our school bus routes to deliver meals, yeah, to pick up spots for meals. And so they're calling them rolling hotspots and they bought hotspots to put on the bus so that as it drives around, there's Wi-Fi access. But the problem with that is that that bus is only parked there for 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So you want that kid to do a day's worth of work in 20 minutes. That's not going to happen. So that kind of leads me to my last question here. And in this time, a lot of us are feeling really like almost defeated in terms of how we're interacting with our students and, and so on. And I'm wondering what, for 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 you, what do you think is something that we as educators can do right now? Um, just like a simple step that an educator could take to improve the equity for their students in their virtual classrooms and and try to keep that in place moving forward so that it's part of their curriculum already for next year. Yeah. I mean, so I think 
So I think when we think about equity, at least for, so when you, when I think about the way you ask that question, like I think about what can a teacher do to not feel defeated? So for me, I try to send messages like once every two or three days to my kids. And then granted, my environment's a little different. We don't have the expectation. So, you know, like my wife had a baby, we had a baby a week and a half ago. So I told all my, my students, because if my wife had had the baby, I would have been in the class. Or like, at some point I would have been in the classroom and told them. And I think the idea about that equity is we have to make sure we're keeping the relationships with our students running because when we keep those relationships running and we ground our equity in those relationships, then we're actually able to do the right thing in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've been seeing a lot of people where they're like, use the, if you do zoom, use the virtual background, teach the kids how to use the virtual background Mm -hmm. so that, you know, I live in a modest home. I, you know, I have a couple of spots where I have like a hole where we had water leak in. I'm going to use a virtual background so my kids don't see that. Yes. Um, and I think setting those kinds of things in place because giving every kid an opportunity to be a valued part and not have anything against them is going to just set the groundwork for them to feel safe and them to be capable of, you know, working in. Um, and going back to that relationship, it allows you also to think about how you want to engage your students. So if you're doing, though, I, we do novel reading a lot in fourth grade in my class. Um, so I usually have access to Audible for the kids. So mm. they can read it on their computer, they can read it in a paper copy, or they can listen. And then they can also listen to it as the, the smart board is reading it to them. Um, so I was able to find a PDF downloader that the kids can use that can actually read it to them and it highlights the words as they read. Oh, that's awesome. So it gives my kids who don't have the same capacity to read a third or fourth grade level text to still engage with the work and answer the questions, which at the end of the day is what we look for with equity. Um, right. And you know, for all those teachers who are listening, you know, what I would say is just kind of keep your heads up. This is kind of one of those things where we can't do any more than what we're currently doing mm-hmm. in the reality. And I think taking care of yourself will help to limit that burden of guilt. Yes. Um, because come September, those kids are going to want you back and they're going to want you refreshed and spending the next one, two, three, I'm counting in my head, five months <laughs> stressing about right. like, how I didn't do enough or I didn't communicate enough or I, I let my kids down is only going to lead to more of that in the future. Whereas if we accept the reality as it is and do our best to fit in within that reality and feel as little guilt as possible about knowing that our intentions are pure and our intentions are trying to make sure that our kids are maintaining that same level. Mm-hmm. If we wipe away some of that guilt then we'll have the capacity to come in refreshed for the new year or even refreshed for the potential of having to do something similar to what we're doing now at the beginning of the school year. And I just think, you know, teachers, we're hard on ourselves. That's part of, I think that's like part of the job. Like I think it's the first bullet point (laughs) of any job interview. Like what is your weakness? Oh, I'm too hard on myself. But um, I think we just have to, that's kind of the thing that I think is really important is just making sure that we as educators know, like, 
there's only so much in these times that we can do to get over that fear of guilt. Right. But accepting that we're doing the best we can in the moment and allowing that guilt to not eat at us will only allow us to be more successful in the future. And it'll set us up for the next time we have something crazy like this happen. Hopefully this is a once. Go ahead. I think it's really like, I want to really highlight the fact that you, your main point here has had almost nothing to do with the academics, right? It's maintaining relationships with kids, which we already make when we're in the classroom. And I think that's so important because that is where equity is derived, right? Is how we interact with our students and how we create those relationships. So I just think that's such an important point. I wanted to make sure that that, that was just out there in the atmosphere for us to, to chew on like what we're doing is, a, is, is as much as we can possibly be doing right now. Oh yeah. I mean, and academics, you know, academics will always be there. I, I saw a meme recently of, you know, how we teach multiplication. And so, and this is all we do with like third, fourth and fifth grade. And it's like the, all the standard, like we teach them all these elaborate ways. And then it's like, when the kids come back from the quarantine, 13 times three is just standard algorithm. And it's like, <laughs> the academics will be there no yes. matter what. And when we come back in the fall, we're going to have to do some rehashing. Right. But that's okay, because that's what teaching is. Every day you do something over you did the day before. Exactly. Like I, I tell my kids all the time, oops, Mr. Jackson messed that up. Let's, let's go back. Let's fix this. <laughs> I right. told you the wrong thing, guys. My wife, my wife, who's a math teacher, came. I came home and told her my lesson. She yelled at me, <laughs> so we got to redo it. Don't anyone tell her. And so oh, that's just kind awesome. of. So that's I think just keeping some levity to to what the reality is sure. in such a difficult time is what we need to do as educators because our kids will feel that when they come back and they're ready to give us all those hugs and yes. everything. So yeah. All right. Thank you, Josh, for being on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for inviting me and um, good luck. And let me know if you need anything else. All right. All right. Next up, we have Gina Pagel from Sun Prairie. Gina, do you mind just taking a second and introducing yourself? Sure. Hey, Jesse. So my name is Gina Pagel and I'm a kindergarten through fourth grade teacher of social studies and Spanish. And this is my 13th year in our elementary world language program in Wanakee. And I'm also very involved in the Wanakee Teachers Association and in community groups like SPARC, which is the Sun Prairie Resource Action Coalition or Action Resource Coalition (laughs) and um, the Sun Prairie Democratic Action Team in Sun Prairie where I live. Awesome. And so you kind of alluded to this already, but um, you're kind of an organizing pro and you've mentioned some of the places and, and organizations you work with, but do you just want to give us like a little bit of background? Like what is some of the organizing work you've done uh, and uh, just where have you worked on organizing? What are some issues you've organized around in the past? Sure. Um, So I always kind of reflect back on like how this all started for me. And I remember the very first lit drop that I ever did was with my dad when I was in elementary school. And it was for, at the time, a little known candidate of the name Russ Feingold. 
Um, okay. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. And then there was a long hiatus where, you know, I was um, involved in school. And then in college, I was involved in the um, WEAC student program, um, now the aspiring educators, um, and kind of got um, a bug for, you know, getting, getting people involved and working together there. And then when I became a teacher, um, there were about three years where I was just like treading water and figuring things out. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then Act 10 happened and that honeymoon was over. Um, yeah. There was no way that I could sit idle during that time. Um, I remember being at like one of the very, like the very first day that there was some information out about the legislation that was coming. It was like a weekend and there were like 30 of us standing on a sidewalk in front of the Capitol. And then before I knew it, it was like every day after school, I had Ian's pizza for dinner at the Capitol and, <laughs> and um, made my presence known. Um, but I would say that Act 10 was definitely a really pivotal moment in my sense of the role that I could play. Um, and I remember being terrified as a young union member starting making some phone calls. Um, and I remember like picking up my first clipboard with a colleague of mine and knocking on doors, getting signatures during that time. And I look back at that and, and still today, it's like I, in my work with the Sun Prairie um, Democratic Action Team, we do a lot of canvassing and I still get a pit in my stomach every time I do it before I knock on my first door. Um, and then it's, it's just like, I'm, I'm talking to neighbors. I'm talking yeah. that matter to me. Um, and it, you know, just gets easier with every door. But I guess I've done um, advocacy for local candidates, for school board and for city council, um, a lot of national loan banking um, and things like that. I think through my, um, through the WTA and through WEAC, um, I've had a lot of opportunities to kind of learn about organizing and study um, kind of what works. Um, and so those things have also been, I think, really important to where I, where I am today. For sure. And I, I love that you talk about, cause you've knocked so many doors, like you can, you have canvassed a ton and I love that you, still get like kind of those pre-canvassing nerves because it's it's it is scary at first especially if you've never done it before yeah. I know the actually the first time that I ever canvassed was uh for Governor Evers when he was running for governor in 2018 and I canvassed in Green Bay at the Professional Development Institute and I remember I was like so nervous but I went with Jill Emmerich who's also a teacher in lacrosse um and the two of us went and it was so fun. Like you get, it, it is, it's fun. It's fun to go. Yeah. And even if they, even if we got people who were like, no, we don't want to vote for Governor Evers. They were still like, thank you for getting out the word about like how to vote and where to vote and all this right. stuff. And um, right. 
I think it, it, doing stuff like that is such a good way to bring communities together. Even if you don't agree on the candidate or the issue or whatever, it's a good way to have a conversation about it without screaming into the void of social media about it too. Absolutely. Talking to real people is what makes a difference. And often, um, even if I'm knocking on doors, like last ditch effort in the Evers campaign, it was like raining. And like mm -hmm. I brought a colleague who had kind of been dragging her feet, but is so passionate about kids and community. And um, at the end of that day, you know, there were so many people who election was literally the next day and there were people who didn't know that and it was like this matters right yeah. every every door every connection we make matters and now that colleague actually <laughs> this year was the one who nudged me I was kind of hanging back um, on taking any action on the presidential scene this year and she was like why are we not phone banking I was like oh my god how the tables have turned right <laughs> I love that because you know that meant that all of those connections we make and all of those people we encourage to get involved matter because you know then she could turn around and nudge me in the other direction so I'm so glad you said that because that was like the perfect transition to my next question for you it's like you you're a pro um so a lot of people maybe people not so much like you and me but people who are your educators who love their kids and are passionate about teaching, but they don't like politics, right? Um, and people say to us all the time, I'm sure to you as, a, as a, an organizer, you hear that people don't like politics. And so they don't want to engage in that political process. So what would you say to someone about why does politics matter to us as educators? And why does it matter to our students even more specifically? Sure. Um, I, I think I've always kind of struggled with this idea just because I do find politics interesting. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is important to remember that that's not the case for everybody. Um, but what people do find interesting is their families and their schools. And there is no doubt that politics is interested in us. Right, <laughs> right. we're interested in it or not. And I mean, when we think at um, our daily life level, you know, like in our schools, everything from decisions that our administrators make to our school boards, like everything is governed by some entity. And at the local level, um, you know, funding for our public libraries, help for families who don't have what they need. Um, all of that is determined by how local legislators decide to collect and uh, allocate funds in our communities. Um, and when we look at the amount of funding in our schools today versus, um, you know, prior to Act 10, it's incredible and nobody really, you know, like occasionally you see a graph or a chart and you're just like mind mm -hmm. blown about it. And people just, you know, like our teachers work hard every day to make it look like that's not the case. Right. And so people don't always feel the, the difference um, in funding um, because we make it work. But right. I think um, 
you know, funding determines what we're able to do in our schools and the services we can provide our kids. And if we can say that we don't care about that, then shame on us. Right. We, we care about our kids and we care about what resources we have for our students as educators. And that inherently means we care about politics, whether we know it or not. Because right. we, I, I have this conversation all the time with uh, members in my uh, local about like wanting a raise. Well, there's only so many raises they can give us before the pot has to get bigger. Like the district only has so much money right. and they can't continue to give us raises if we don't fix the funding formula, right? Okay. If we don't fix how much money schools are getting, eventually there's not going to be any money left for raises. And so that's just another just stack it up on top of all the other reasons why we need to and get at the active. school board level too. It's about allocating funds. I mean, mm -hmm. there's always decisions to be made and when people aren't paying attention, you know, we can't speak to, to that. And so we have to pay attention. We have to, yes. um, you know, and we take turns, right? Like, like we can't all be paying attention to everything all right. the time. Um, um, but Right. And, and I mean, the, the climate politically in Wisconsin and really in our country right now has just gotten so, for lack of a better word, it's gotten weird, right? Over the last, over the last, especially the last four years, but even before that, I would even argue probably since Act 10, it's just gotten so divisive and, and just weird, right? So mm -hmm. from your perspective, why is it important for us to organize around issues and how do we do it effectively? Sure. I, I would agree that this is the strangest time and right. stranger by the day sometimes it seems. <laughs> um, but I would say organizing is about relationships. Um, so no matter what politics are being played in the capital um, locally or, you know, out in Wisconsin or nationally, um, all of it comes down to relationships. And so when we are considering how we can have an impact, we have to start by thinking about the relationships that we have um, and consider our circle of influence and really just start there. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, or organizing sometimes feels like something that is for other people. Sometimes <laughs> like, you know, some people don't consider themselves organizers or yeah. activists and have a hard time identifying with, with those phrases because there are, you know, big names that we picture when we think about that. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be that way. Everybody starts with their own circle of people that they know. Um, and I guess I often come back to, um, a quote from Dolores Huerta, who mm. worked side by side with Cesar Chavez um, and is thankfully still a living legend. <laughs> um, and she said, uh, the great social justice changes in our country have happened when people came together, organized and took direct action. It's this right that sustains and nurtures our democracy today. The civil rights movement, the labor movement, the women's movement, and the equity movement for our LGBT brothers and sisters are all manifestations of these rights. And 
I often come back to that and just remember that really every moment is a chance to organize because every moment is about relationships with one another. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, first of all, Dolores Huerta is like my favorite person <laughs> alive. I have to brag. I got to meet her when I was in college and she's awesome. Oh. Um, and I had I an opportunity, <laughs> um, but actually Ricardo Chavez passed away the, the week that I was supposed to meet her at an institute in California. Oh. Right. I'm jealous, Jesse. Yeah, she's great. Me. And I'm so glad you brought her up because she is like, <laughs> oh, she's awesome. Um, and I think you, you make such a good point about the most effective way to, to start organizing is to start with the people you see every day, right? right. Like just, just start talking to people about things, right? <laughs> start talking to them about the issues. It doesn't have to be centered around a candidate. Right. talk to them about the issues that you care about and and then that naturally will will bring you to a point where you're talking about okay well what do, what can we do to change this well we have to vote and we have to change who our elected officials are and that might mean voting for a certain candidate i just that's how you start and then if you're interested in doing more if you find yourself really enjoying that work there's people to reach out to and there's organizations to reach out to, to help you move in your journey of organizing. Right. Yep. And I think a lot of people, I mean, I know right now, Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday were hard days, like with yeah. everything that happened with the Supreme court decisions and governor Evers trying to keep us safe and the, the, other folks <laughs> out there who didn't care about our safety and decided to have an election anyways. It, it brings a lot of people, I think, to a point where we're feeling unmotivated or we're feeling defeated or we're feeling like we lost hope. Right. What action steps can people take right now? Like the second they're done listening to this, what can they go and do to make a difference and to, to kind of help rebuild that hope? Yeah, um, I would say that, I mean, advocacy doesn't have to be complicated. Mm -hmm. Start with something small. And maybe that's looking for groups in your community who are already doing work around issues that matter to you. Or maybe consider the groups that you're already a part of. Um, you know, could you suggest that your union or your church group or your circle of friends get together and address an issue or, you know, at least have conversations about it. I think I'm guilty of starting uncomfortable conversations a lot. And occasionally <laughs> people in life are like, does everything have to be about an injustice? And I'm like, well, well we're surrounded with so much injustice. Right. Yeah, I do think we need to talk about it. And, you know, it's been fun in my own life to see people who you know, I, I'm me and I'm never going to stop talking about it, but to have friends of mine be like, oh my God, remember when I like forgot to vote all the time and you had to remind me and now I'm listening to political podcasts alongside yes. you and whatever. But I, I really think, you know, it, it doesn't have to be complicated, right? Think about, you know, every day is a chance to, um, you know, work towards equity, work towards social justice, 
you know, in these weird times where we're trying to educate our students online. Mm -hmm. I mean, I teach kindergarten through fourth grade and all of my instruction now takes place online. And so we have to just think things through. And if there's something that doesn't feel like it's what's best for kids, speak up about it. Exactly. Right? Who can you talk to and who can you be proactive with? You know, our district is trying to figure out what grading an assessment might look like. Mm -hmm. So with my team, um, we had a conversation and put together like, these are our beliefs about this time and about grading an assessment right now. And here's some recommendations we have. Sent it off to the director of curriculum and instruction. Next day, he sets up a virtual meeting and is like, great, thanks for reaching out. I think you're on the right track. I'm gonna start meeting with other teams about this. Like, it, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be that we are marching. It can be that right. we're looking around and saying, wait, is this acceptable to all families? Is this what's best for kids? And if we see things that are not, then we speak up about it. That's right. what advocacy is, just speaking up and not staying silent when things really matter. Absolutely, absolutely. Gina, thank you. This absolutely. was great. Thanks for having me. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of episode three of The Color of Teaching, and I just want to take a moment to thank Josh and Gina for spending some time with me on Zoom the other day chatting about such important topics. We need to get interested in politics because, as Gina said, it's definitely interested in us. Being active, diligent citizens is how we continue the movement toward improving public education and providing an equitable experience for all of our students. Until next time, stay safe, my friends.